My name is Dr. Mark McCullough. I will be reading again from Dante, this time Canto 12, translated by Mark Musa. And after uh, summarizing this uh, Canto of the Inferno, I uh, will be reading the Canto and then offering a brief discussion. They descend the steep slope into the seventh circle by means of a great landslide, which was caused when Christ descended into hell. At the edge of the abyss is the Minotaur, who presides over the circle of the violent. At the base of the precipice, they see a river of boiling blood, which contains those who have inflicted violence upon each other. But before they can reach the river, they are interrupted by three fierce centaurs, whose task it is to keep those who are in the river at their proper depth by shooting arrows at them, if they attempt to rise. Virgil explains to one of the centaurs that this journey of the pilgrim and himself is ordained by God and he requests him to assign someone to guide the two of them to the ford in the river and carry the pilgrim across it to the other bank. Chiron gives the task to Nissus, one of the centaurs, who, as he leads them to the river's ford, point, points out many of the sinners there in the boiling blood. Not only was that place where we had come to descend craggy, but there was something there that made the scene appalling to the eye. Like the ruins this side of Trent left by the landslide, an earthquake or erosion must have caused it, that hit the Adige on its left bank, where from the mountain's top where the slide began to the plain below, the shattered rocks slipped down, shaping a path for a difficult descent. So was the slope of our ravine's formation. And at the edge along the shattered chasm there lay stretched out the infamy of Crete, the son conceived in the pretended cow. When he saw us, he bit into his flesh, gone crazy with the fever of his rage. My wise guide cried to him, Perhaps you think you see the Duke of Athens come again, who came once in the world to bring your death? Begone, you beast, for this one is not led down here by means of clues your sister gave him. He comes here only to observe your torments. The way a bull breaks loose the very moment he knows he has been dealt the mortal blow and cannot run but jumps and twists and turns, just so I saw the minotaur perform, and my guide, alert, cried out, run to the pass, while he still writhes with rage, get started down. And so we made our way down through the ruins of rocks, which often I felt shift and tilt beneath my feet from weight they were not used to. I was deep in thought when he began. Are you perhaps thinking about these ruins protected by the furious beast I quenched in its own rage? Now let me tell you the other time I came down to the lower part of hell, this rock had not then fallen into ruins. But certainly, if I remember well, it was just before the, op the coming of that one who took from hell's first circle the great spoil, that this abyss of stench from top to bottom began to shake. So I thought the universe felt love whereby some have maintained the word has more than once renewed itself in chaos. The world has, one, has more than once renewed itself in chaos. That was the moment when this ancient rock was split this way, here and in other places. But now look down the valley. Coming closer, you will see the river of blood that boils the souls of those who through their violence injured others. O oh, blind cu cupidity and insane wrath, 
spurring us on through our short life on earth, to steep us then forever in such misery. I saw a river, wide, curved like a bow, that stretched embracing all the flat land there, just as my guide had told me to expect. Between the rivers and the steep came centaurs, galloping in single file, equipped with arrows, off hunting as they used to in the world. Then seeing us descend, they all stopped short, and three of them departed from the ranks, with bows and arrows ready from their quivers. One of them cried from his distant post, You there, on your way down here, what torture are you seeking? Speak where you stand, if not I draw my bow. And then my master shouted back, Our answer we will give to Chiron when we're at his side. As for you, I see you are as rash as ever. He nudged me, saying, that one there is Nisus, who died from loving lovely Degenera, and made of himself, of his blood, his own revenge. The middle one, who contemplates his chest, is great Chiron, who reared and taught Achilles. The last is Pholus, known for his drunken wrath. They galloped by the thousands round the ditch, shooting at any daring soul emerging above the bloody level of his guilt. When we came closer to these agile beasts, Chiron drew an arrow, and with its notch he parted his beard to both sides of his jaws, and when he had uncovered his great mouth, he spoke to his companions. Have you noticed how the one behind moves everything he touches? This is not what a dead man's feet would do. At my good guide, now standing by the torso at the point the beast's two natures joined, replied, He is indeed alive, and so alone that I must show him through this dismal valley. He travels by necessity, not pleasure. A spirit came from singing hallelujah to give me this extraordinary mission. He is no rogue, nor I a criminal spirit. Now, in the name of that power by which I move my steps along so difficult a road, give us one of your troop to be our guide, to lead us to the ford, and once we are there to carry this one over on his back, for he is not a spirit who can fly. Chiron looked over his right breast, and said to Nisus, You go, guide them as they ask, and if another troop protests, disperse them. So with this trusted escort we moved on, along the boiling chrism river's bank, where piercing shrieks rose from the boiling souls. There I saw people sunken to their eyelids, and the huge centaur explained, There are the tyrants who dealt in bloodshed and plundered wealth. Their tears are paying for their heartless crimes. Here stands Alexander and fierce Dionysius, who weighed down Sicily with years of pain. And there, that forehead smeared with coal black here hair, is Azalino, the other one, the blonde, Opizo Diesti, who, and this is true, was killed by his own stepson in your world. With that I looked to Virgil, but he said, Let him instruct you now, don't look to me. A little farther on, the centaur stopped above some people peering from the blood that came up to their throats. He pointed out a shade off to one side alone and said, There stands the one who in God's keep murdered the heart still dripping blood above the Thames. Then I saw other souls stuck in the river who had their heads and chests above the blood, and I knew the names of many who were there. The river's blood began decreasing slowly, until it cooked the feet and nothing more, and here we found the ford where we could cross. Just as you see the boiling river here on this side getting shallow gradually, 
the centaur said. I would also have you know that on the other side, the riverbed sinks deeply more and more until it reaches the deepest meeting place where tyrants moan. It is there that heaven's justice strikes its blow against Attila, known as the scourge of earth, against Pyrrhus and Sextus, and forever extracts the tears the scalding blood produces from Rainier de Cornetto and Rainier Pazzo, whose battlefields were highways where they robbed. And then he turned round and crossed the ford again. So we'll start today's discussion with some uh, comparisons and contrasts between translations. We'll move to uh, seeing the canto in a general way, its relationship to other cantos that we've discussed, uh, especially Canto 7. And then we'll move to the two figures of, of uh, the two mythological figures, of the two figures who, who uh, represent a form of violence here, uh, Minotaur and, um, and the centaurs. So let's start with the translations. Um, I'll start with um, Longfellow, since I have it right in front of me. I wanted to uh, emphasize the uh, the simile here, the, descri the description that, that Dante gives of the Minotaur, um, and the, the sort of choices of words that are used by each of the translators. In Longfellow, this is line 20, starting in line 22. I'll read it from the Longfellow translation. This is a description of the Minotaur after he's been made angry. Uh, Longfellow translates, as is that bull who breaks loose at the moment in which he has received the mortal blow, who cannot walk but staggers here and there. Hollander's translation, um, like the bull that breaks its tether, just as it receives the mortal blow and cannot run but lunges here and there. And then uh, finally, I'll repeat the musa, the way a bull breaks loose the very moment he knows he has been dealt the mortal blow and cannot run but jumps and twists and turns. So these different descriptions, different verb uses uh, to, to give action to the Minotaur is different in each one of these translations, and um, each translator makes an attempt to um, uh, describe the performance of the Minotaur. And that's important, right, because this uh, canto and uh, is about violence, and we've now entered into the circle of violence and the Minotaur is that representation in the sense of one kind of bestial violence. And each of these translators attempts to get at that through this verb use. So we've got writhes, uh, sort of uh, uh, jumps, uh, twists, and turns. Uh, we've, we've, we've got uh, lunges. Uh, we've got a number of different kind of bestial descriptions out of control, without reason etc. description in the Minotaur. And um, whenever you're looking at different translations in, in Dante or in, or in any other, for any other poetry, it's always nice to, uh, to locate a passage uh, where you have a simile or a metaphor where the work of the translator is really on display. So we, in Canto 12, complements uh, Canto 7 in that it um, finishes this discussion of violence. In Canto 7, we saw uh, a, a variety of uh, sinners uh, damned that were placed in the marsh, and there was a description both of those who were mucking around in the, the mud, uh, who were uh, in, the, in the fit of passion, 
um, in the fit of, of passion of anger. And, and then there were those who were underneath uh, the marsh who were who we didn't actually Dante didn't see. He just uh, saw the bubbles uh, that came to the surface. And we discussed uh, or I discussed in that in that lecture about how I saw depression um, uh, in in the in that second group, right? That is to say the anger, the passion of anger, as being sort of stuck inside the person, not being able to be directed anywhere. Um, and uh, resentment, that's sort of the passion uh, of anger turning to resentment. So in the first the first group of, um, of damned, you had anger that is quick to, quick to rise and quick to go. And then the second group, you had uh, those who uh, were, had no outlet for their anger, but just simply sat in their rage, and you simply saw that the bubbles rising up to the surface. And the the third group is not found there in this in in um, in this last uh, grouping of the sins of passion or the sins of incontinence, in part because uh, he, we have it here, right? So uh, you'd think that anger would be a uh, would be a sin of violence, and in fact it is, but only in a specific way. So. Canto 12 uh, introduces this third group, um, a group that was discussed, is discussed in Aquinas about the different variations on anger. And it discusses the kind of violence that is not a, that is not a result of passion or incontinence, but of, heart, of kind of a hardened will. And in the case uh, of many of the figures that we'll see here, the cold-blooded revenge. So revenge... Uh, that which is revenge in war um, or personal revenge is um, is highlighted here in this uh, in canto uh, in canto 12. So we in, in canto 9 we saw the furies who are really half human half beast and we get several more representations of um, of of these beasts uh, in different areas we um, and here uh, in canto 12 we get the minotaur and the and the in the centaurs, and the minotaur is half bull, half man. He's the product of uh, Persephone and a bull, um, so he's a so he's a sort of an un, he's a product of an unholy union between a woman and a and a cow, and um, and uh, poor King Minos of uh, King uh, King of Crete, um, as you know, understanding what has happened here with his wife, uh, giving birth to this uh, monstrosity. Uh, places him inside uh, the labyrinth that is designed by Daedalus. You might know the rest of the story, um, but the Minotaur, this half beast, um, is described as we as we see in this simile um, in his bestial wrath. Now Dante uses bestial in an interesting fashion here. I would think that you know if you call someone a beast, it might be because they lack reason, or uh, which is sort of um, well, it's it's like a double insult, right? It's an insult to the person because they're not using their brain, but it's also an insult to beasts who, uh, I don't, I'm not sure they can be said to be unreasonable, it's just not having reason as human beings do. And, and Dante seems to agree with me on one hand, he's saying, well, the beasts have this kind of hardened will or cold-blooded revenge, not so much a lack of reason, although that's there as well, but there's a, there's a um, the, the bestial part of it is a, a kind of consistency or a, a, a we might say like a, a character flaw or something that's much uh, m 
the duration of which, uh, the duration of anger in the bestial is, um, is, is, is certainly um, increased from uh, what we saw in Canto, uh, uh, what we saw in Canto 7 is just sort of impulsive anger. And so when he calls the Minotaur sort of a beast or a bestial wrath or insane, I think in one translation he names it, um, he's, he's talking about this kind of this, this hardened will um, of, of the, the, the passion of violence or of violence itself. Um, and so uh, Virgil triggers the Minotaur, to use the, the verb of, of uh, du jour, triggers um, uh, the Minotaur and, the, and he goes nuts and this allows Virgil to sort of sneak by him. It does remind us of the Cerberus, um, you know, the throwing of the cakes or the, uh, you know, some kind of trickery that one uses around, uh, around these figures. Um, uh, but yeah, so, so Dante, Dante is interested here in, uh, com in composite forms, composite forms of half human and half beasts. And as we descend in hell, we become less and less human. It's really important. We become less human as we descend. Um, we see something very similar to that in John Milton's Paradise Lost when uh, Satan wills himself into the snake. Now he has the power to do so, but in a sense he's going down the chain of being, down into a snake. And uh, as if you've, if you've read that poem, maybe that's something I should discuss here, but um, if you've read that poem, you realize that Satan can't go back in a sense. He can't, he can't once he's willed himself uh, away from uh, what is, uh, in his case, angelic, down to the snake, he can't will himself back. So we start to see these figures in the Inferno who are half bull, half man, and we, in the centaurs we see half horse, half men. And these are uh, the sort of echoes of the, um, the ethical and moral state of the damned. Uh, they become less human, and in many cases less real as we, as we, get, as we get deeper and deeper. So the centaurs, the centaurs that we um, concentrated here on are of two of two. Uh, there are two centaurs that are concentrated on in this in this canto. Uh, Chiron being one of them. Now Chiron uh, is um, they both Chiron and Nisus or Nisus rather. They they approach Dante and they're like, okay, you know what's this? His his feet are moving things. He's not quite a he's he's got a body. Uh, and then Virgil has to has to correct their experience as well. But remember that Chiron educated Achilles. He's a he's a figure. You know he's he's this bestial figure that I just mentioned, and he's half horse and half man. But there's there's kind of like a weird nobility to him uh, as well, and uh, uh, Nisus as well. It's not mentioned really in the text explicitly, but one thing you have to understand as you're reading it is that Nisus actually carries. Uh, Dante on his back across the ford to the next to the next part of hell, um, and that's not described. One of the commentators uh, suggested that this would be too absurd uh, for Dante to say such a thing that his readers would have been laughing too hard. Um, I don't think that's quite true. We laugh quite a bit uh, in the Inferno. We're about to laugh quite a bit uh, coming up here uh, with the demons who are you know playing the trumpet with their butt. Um, so I don't think Dante is uh, is uh, allergic to humor, uh, but he does not make specific here that he's riding on Nisus's back. So um, Kieran is um, is is this is this figure who is sort of noble in that he educated Achilles, but remember who Achilles is, 
and um, and, and Achilles for Dante is um, is not a, is not a noble uh, warrior, but rather one who was wrathful and uh, in part died because of his great violence. Right, so Achilles uh, has this uh, deeply violent part of him. Uh, that is important. Now, I just seem to have contradicted myself because what we see in Canto Five, with the um, the sins of incontinence that particularly of lust, is that Achilles is there. He's not, he's not in the violent. Um, odd choice, of course, uh, uh, be, because uh, one one associates Achilles with uh, with with rage and with wrath, and with revenge and with war. We we'd, we'd expect to see him here, um, but we don't. Um, in part because Dante is following the story. He learned um, in the Latin texts from Achilles' death uh, in the temple uh, there to meet, uh, uh, there to meet, I think, one of the daughters of Priam. So it's lustful. It's, he died in, in lust. Um, but but, but um, Chiron here is the teacher. And so as such, he represents sort of this, um, uh, this guide, right? Because he, he works to help guide um, the two, but he also, um, Virgil and Dante, but he also um, is part of the, uh, the machinery of hell. He is arrows are shot at the, the damned uh, to keep them from surfacing um, and to keep them right where they ought to be so the torture is perfect. Um, these, uh, the, these centaurs may have been based on Dante's own experience of, um, of many of those um, sort of mercenary uh, soldiers uh, who used bows and arrows and archery and so forth in um, in and around uh, 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 Tuscan hills and also uh, near Florence, of course, during Dante's time. This is something we'll talk more about in later lectures. But um, Dante, of course, was was very familiar with violence um, and and was seeing it happen all around him. So these uh, these 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 half horse half men um, centaurs may be uh, based in part on Dante's own experience of uh, of mercenaries there in the hills uh, and he gives them kind of a a fun rapport with Dante and Virgil but you know fun only insofar as that they're going to be uh, an instrument of Dante's own salvation his own journey so they help him they guide him really um so I would I would say that this isn't really mentioned in any of the commentaries that I took a look at but um but, but I noted that um, there is a poem, a very uh, famous poem of Dante's time called The Achilliad, uh, which is about Achilles. And it was written by a Roman, early Roman uh, a poet um, named Statius. And we'll see Statius in Purgatory. Um, Dante thought very highly of Statius. And in the uh, Achilliad, we, uh, uh, we, we, we see uh, Chiron. So, um, so Dante may have gotten that representation there from that poem, a poem we, nobody reads anymore, um, and so uses him here uh, for, um, for the purposes of, as I mentioned, both the mechanism of hell, the representation of half horse, half man, uh, and also as a, as a, as a nudge towards um, Achilles himself. Uh, here is the teacher, the one who, who educated Achilles and other Greek warriors. And Nisus has himself uh, an interesting uh, background um, with Hercules. He, um, he was stopped by Hercules from raping Hercules' wife, but gave a tunic, a poison tunic, 
to his wife, who uh, his wife, Achilles' wife later gave that tunic to Achilles, and then Achilles dies through that poisoned, um, that poisoned tunic. Um, this was um, this was part of the tradition that Dante understood about Hercules, and so by giving the poisoned tunic to his wife, it's sort of, this is this difficult anger that uh, Aquinas has has uh, mentioned, right? That the anger that is that is kind of a, like a revenge. So uh, Nisus being stopped by uh, Hercules in a moment of of violence, that is rape, um, gets his revenge uh, by poisoning a tunic that that uh, uh, Hercules will eventually die from. And then that story is actually found in Ovid. Now that I see in my notes, it's the metamorphosis, uh, the metamorphosis that Dante was um, quite familiar with. I had someone ask recently, actually, about the, the realism of Dante and here is a great example in line um, uh, 76 through 82, where um, Chiron's um, description of his beard and how his beard is parted from the nook of an arrow is a brilliant little passage. Um, and when we look in Dante, we see a lot of these little um, nice details uh, that please uh, pleases readers. Um, of course, the more he does this, the more he has us question his metaphysics of hell, since um, do the do the centaurs actually have bodies? Do they have beards? How do the bristles on his beards move? Um, but uh, but Dante's a poet, and so he's going to give these these beautiful moments of realism in the midst of of this uh, of this intense allegory. So here's your example of realism from Dante. So many of the damned that are described here are tyrants, and Dante had a special place in hell for tyrants. It's literally, <laughs> oh, that's great had a special place in hell for tyrants, right? They served themselves and not the, the people they were they were placed on earth to serve. And so he mentions them, Alexander the Great, Dionysius the Elder of Syracuse, and there are others here. Remember that the violent and those who, uh, that, that violence is both, you know, through the harm to others, as we see here in the, in the River of Blood, and also in the um, cupidity that is the excessive greed and the taking of possessions so dante puts these two groups of people together two groups of damned together um, murderers uh, go along with um, go along with them but murderers uh, uh, are, are, are more you know obviously uh, more serious than those who just were violent and so dante has uh, a number of of different uh, other damned here who uh, represent the kind of these non-murderous violent uh, individuals. And some of these murderous uh, individuals include Monfort uh, and Henry of Cornwall. And there's this story uh, of, of Henry's heart uh, that, that was um, returned to England uh, during the 13th century and that heart still dripped with blood. So a beautiful uh, reference there. Um, why did the, the, the heart uh, continue to drink with blood? Well, because the, the murder was never avenged. So that there's, so, there's, there's more here, but uh, it's a good place to stop. Um, this is uh, our introduction into violence. And uh, in this particular uh, canto, Violence Against Others, we're going to see um, the very important in Canto 13, Violence Against Self in the, in the, in the Wood of Suicides. And then we'll finally see violence against God. So I hope you join me for those discussions as well.